What's the boop, 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 noise going on in the background there, Rob? <laughs> yeah, it's our sound. We're obviously in a soundproof studio. No, yeah, you're right. Um, there is in the background. I don't know if anyone can hear, but the local church, which is literally a couple of doors down from me, has decided to let its bells ring out. I don't know if it's like a bell ringing night or whether it's. <laughs> It's not, it's bad timing. But I the, bells, the bells, the bells. The bells, the bells. <laughs> so if you can hear that, apologies. It will stop at some point. I don't have <laughs> the power to call them up though and say, do you not know that we're on Zoom recording? Yes, exactly. Two small coats and a large popcorn. Come on! <laughs> do you know who we are? <laughs> the power of living in the countryside as well, I guess. Oh, they stopped. Good to go. They're having tea and biscuits. We, right you now. won't like to be having exactly. <laughs> yeah, but they might be having a cup of tea yeah. and a custard cream. They'll be back. That's on. what I was thinking: custard cream or a bourbon biscuit. Yeah, bourbon <laughs> biscuits. Nobody eats the bourbon biscuits. They always eat the custard creams. That's right. And you open them up and you scrape off the the inside. Yeah, and, and then it'll be a digestive. Yeah, yeah digestive. Right. It's amazing how that just seamlessly seems to be passed down the generations. I don't think I ever remember saying to my children, now, right, kids, this is the first time you've had a warm biscuit. Mm. I recommend that you, first of all, take it apart and scrape out the tasty stuff. They they instinctively do. It's like with Oreos or like, it's weird, isn't it? It's like that Cadbury's cream egg, isn't it? How do you eat eat yours? Yeah, right. So, like... (laughs) Oh, we get these mini rolls, you know, the chocolate mini rolls. Mm. And my daughter, like, Rabbles it peels <laughs> all of the outer chocolate bits off it. <laughs> right. And then she'll have the inside bit and then go back and pick up all the bits of chocolate outer shell. <laughs> well, my whole family, when we have a magnum, we eat all the chocolate off first and there then we get the ice cream. <laughs> there you go. It's exactly the same, exactly the same. How do you eat yours How anyway? Do you eat yours? Yeah. You watched any films recently? Other than Scream, which <laughs> we'll oh, yeah. come on to that in a minute. <laughs> yeah, other than Scream and the movie that we saw mm. Friday that we're going to talk about shortly. I don't think I have. I mean, I've seen quite a bit of TV. My son was off school, not well, luckily not COVID, but it did mean that he was sat down watching quite a lot of TV. So I ended up watching the whole of season two of Stranger Things, which I was uh, just thought was yes. absolutely amazing. I watched season three of Afterlife, which I love. Yeah, um, I've not seen that. Yeah. I'm not a big uh, Ricky Gervais fan. Yeah, you've got to be a Gervais fan really for that. And then I, yeah, and then I'm really enjoying Trigger Point as well. Ah, uh, um, Trigger Point, yes. And Ozark is on back on now as well. Maybe I should get on the Ozark bandwagon because I, I don't mm. know. Oh, and also we talked about this the other day. I've just started watching Boba Fett or the book of Boba Fett. Anyway. I've watched up the two episodes with Mandalorian and, and they are so much better than the rest of the series. I don't know what it is. It'd be interesting to see whether Boba Fett has another series on the back of this one. It's not bad. It's not bad. It's worth watching. But I think I preferred the Mandalorian and also Hawkeye was brilliant. The Star Wars, I mean, it's going to be loads of these Star Wars spin-offs, isn't it? But mm. Obi-Wan Kenobi. Oh, uh, yes. Yeah, that's, that looks good. That I'll be watching be that. Mm. I guess with all yeah. these Star Wars spin-offs, all these characters that kind of cross over and whatever mm. they do, mm. that's what makes it fun. Or you get glimpses of characters from the films. There's at least yeah. Another one I've, I recommend, Cop Shop. 
on Amazon Prime. It's got Gerald Butler and Frank Grillo, who's from Captain America, Purge. And it's got Alexis Lauder, who's from Watchmen and Tomorrow's War with Tom Cruise. It's about a con man, gets arrested, he hides in jail, and then this hitman's after this con man and ends up in jail as well, and it all kicks off. It's very stylized at the start, so you kind of like go, oh, this is not going to be good when you watch it. But actually, it gets better. It is good. I have to just stop there, Sarah, because I've just realised that my microphone hasn't actually been in position. <laughs> so I'm now putting it in position. So the last, whatever it was, five or 10 minutes may not be in the quality we're hearing now. So apologies. <laughs> it but sounds I, so much clearer. Does it sound so much clearer? Yes, yes, it is. I do. Well, anyway, you know, it's clear now for the actual reviews because I think we're pretty much done with what we've been watching. We are, we are. Nice. Should we go for the oldie? So the oldie was... Cyrano de Bergerac, starring Gérard Depardieu. This film was from 1990. People may remember his little purple patch. So released that same year was was Green Card, and then he was in Ridley Scott Columbus' film. For a short period, he was the man, wasn't he? Anyway, starring Depardieu, Anne Brochette, and Vincent Perez, directed by Jean-Paul Rapineur. So this is set in 17th century Gascon. I'm just going to do the comedy inflections at the end. Gascon in France. We have Serrano de Bergerac, who's this kind of swaggering, larger-than-life, romantic swordsman and poet. And he finds it really difficult to express his love for his cousin, which sounds a bit strange, really, when you mm. talk about his cousin. But yeah, I think you kind mm. of have to just park that the beautiful Roxanne, who is set to marry the manipulative scheming count called de Guiche. Now, I think this was like the third film adaptation. And obviously people will know there's a film out at the moment, another Serrano film called Serrano with Peter Dinklage. So this is a well-known tale and was based on the Edmund Rostand play. As I say, Serrano is this larger-than-life character. He has the gift of the gab which we see in the very opening scene where he interrupts this play at the local theater and every time he talks the whole thing is in poetry it's his way of just showing off how clever he is and in poetry he basically shows his utter disdain for the quality of the play and the actors and the writing but he's really just doing this to show off to Roxanne who's watching on the balcony as i say he doesn't suffer fools gladly but he has one big problem which she thinks is always going to stand in the way of him and uh, having any hope with Roxanne, which is this enormous nose. I think deliberately made to look comical because that's kind of the point of it. So yeah, he thinks he's got everything basically apart from the looks. So after first interrupting the play, he then tries to impress Roxanne further by dueling the Marquis Valver, his name. And again, as he's fighting him, he's making up a poem on the spot. So it's almost like the fight he's describing as a poem all the way to the end. He then, straight after that, comes to the rescue of a friend who's on this bridge outside of town where these hundred soldiers are ready to do battle. He takes them all on single-handedly. So he's kind of this rogue hero in the town. Mm. 
And this prompts a request from Roxanne to see him. So he's thinking, fantastic, maybe she's going to declare her love for me. But instead, she declares the love for Christian, who's this young, dashing recruit of the cadets to Gascon, which is the military unit for which Serrano serves. However, Serrano, who's keen to impress Roxanne and obviously is not going to want to give away that he's completely gutted. He learns that whilst Christian has all of the good looks, he's completely useless with words, totally tongue-tied when speaking with women, completely the opposite to Serrano. So he sees this opportunity to vicariously declare his love to Roxanne by writing the letters for Christian. He decides to make this proposal to Christian. Look, you, you admit you're rubbish with words, but you've got all the looks. I haven't got the looks. I've got this ridiculous nose, but I'll write for you. So he writes the love letters and these are taken to Roxanne and everything's going great. And it culminates in this meeting and Serrano is hiding in the shadows, gesturing these words for Christian to quickly turn around around and say there and then which you so you get these quite amusing comedy moments but then things take a bit of a turn because matters are made more complicated when the jealous de Guiche calls up Serrano for military duty against the Spanish the siege of Arras I think against the Spanish and Christian because he's in the connects is also called up of course Roxanne is really concerned will she ever actually cement this romance with Christian but the burning question throughout all of this is whether obviously Roxanne will ever learn of her true love, the man behind the words, which is, of course, Serrano. So I'm going to leave it there. As soon as I started watching this, I suddenly thought, I've forgotten that it's subtitled. And so I know... You got a text from me. I thought, am I? It's in French. I, I know, I couldn't remember. I couldn't remember. I was almost waiting for it. And, I, and then you messaged me. I thought, oh my God, yeah, I forgot about that. So I, I hope that didn't put you off. Sarah, I'm not sure. I didn't actually. I think French is a beautiful language and especially when you put it in to this kind of situation where it's a love story, it's poem being read and it just sort of flows. It's quite beautiful really. But what really caught my attention was really the costumes the set design very realistic and it stands well today as well it's an old I mean this film's in 1990 this is like 30 years ago and you would think actually they could release it today on a big screen and you wouldn't have known I don't think because it's set in the 1600s 1640 I think it was Uh, they had 2,000 actors and extras for this film 2,000 costumes a thousand weapons and 40 studio sets they went big on this film and it can tell the you know cinematography and everything is excellent and it doesn't surprise me that it won oscars in the 1991 academy awards for best costume design it was nominated for best set decoration uh, makeup and then uh, gerard Depardieu was also nominated for an oscar as well and he missed out but it did really well at the baftas it won cinematography costume score makeup so you know collect other awards elsewhere but not for the really big one which they wanted obviously the nose I didn't have a problem with his nose at all through the film. I didn't think it was as big as Steve Martin's nose in Roxanne. It was really more accentuated in Roxanne, I think, which was filmed three years earlier. And I think only if you turned to the left or right, you would see it. 
I know Gerard de Badeau has got a, quite a large nose anyway, so it wasn't a huge big difference to, to his facial, his features anyway, I don't think. But I just found it a little bit sad that this man, this, a cousin of Roxanne, yes, it, it was a bit weird knowing it was a cousin. I didn't realise it was a cousin. I forgot about that piece. Loved her so dearly than that he thought himself was too ugly to be with her. I think it's a little bit shallow, isn't it? It's a bit like Beauty and the Beast and those kind of stories as well. But Depa do played the character so well. And he did amuse me, especially at the end. It just went on and on. I won't see what it was. However, there were some circumstances where I didn't fully understand who hurt him at first. I had to read that up. So I didn't follow the plot as well as I thought I would. It could be because I found the subtitles on occasions. There was missing words, potentially. I don't, I, it could be me. I may have not read it properly, but I felt the subtitles were a little bit clunky in places. And I don't know whether it's because it's trying to be a poem or whether it, it wasn't quite right. I don't know what your thoughts are on the subtitles. I actually did find because it's almost just as much about the beautiful French language and the words and the poetry as well as the love story. And the lines are delivered so quickly. You can get lost quite quickly. Oh, absolutely. And in that first half an hour where we are introduced to Serrano and he holds court, he just doesn't stop talking. It's all poetry. It's all poetic that he's just making up on the spot and there's crowds everywhere. And he, as I say, that whole sequence, you know, starts in the theatre, in the theatre ages talking and then he then he comes out and there's this fight and then he goes it and I actually took me a while just to get tuned in. I mean it settles down eventually but the way it starts is it's going a hundred miles an hour. So I think with the subtitles as well, it's hard to pick up everything, you know, everything about elements of the history or the backstory you need. But I don't think that brings it down, but I do think you are watching it thinking, I think I know I'm missing bits here, but you yeah, just kind of yeah. go with it until you really understand. Yeah, okay. you do. It kind of doesn't matter really because you get who he is and then Christian's brought into it. Oh, I get it. After that it becomes quite a simple story. But apparently the subtitles had to be written to be poetic in the English language. And so I think there must be elements of the subtitle you're seeing there that aren't verbatim what's being said. So, I I mean, I know that is the case because that was quite a challenge, especially given the fact that, that so much of it is written in verse, that the challenge of then translating it from French to English and still making it rhyme on the subtitles, as it were. I, I must admit... There were times in that opening half an hour where it's just poetry, poetry just in your face. I was thinking, oh my God, I don't know how much of this I can take, actually. It was quite intense. So I was really glad whether, you know, when it just settled down a bit and then it was much easier yeah, to follow. Yeah, I would, I would say that. I mean, it's amazing when you think about it that it's based on the back of a, of a play as well. And, it, and Serrano is a real person in real life. I'm not sure how big his nose was, but <laughs> but Edmond Rostand was the playwright and that was in 1897 the play was released and Vincent Perez yes he was a handsome man but he had no words and I think she was looking for the whole package really but Serrano's character was the one she really loved versus the looks yeah I was gonna say it's just a bit of a travesty because they hark back to their times Mm. growing up together so he's had this thing for Roxanne in this particular Mm. story for, for years it's just sad that as you said he thinks this knows or the way he looks is just yeah means he just oh, can't sad. kind of compete i think it's sad and also and almost i mean you think 
is this really a comedy? It seems more of a, a drama, a tragedy. There are some comical moments in it, but I wouldn't put it all out comedy, to be honest. A period drama, I would put it as. and But it stands very, very well as a period drama. Factoid for you, Gerard Depardieu, you probably know this already, and Vincent Perez, who is the handsome young man in the film, Christian, they've both fathered children with the same woman. Did you know that? I do yeah, know that. I I like, like, but... They take it to real life. <laughs> I know Gerard Depardieu was very fond of his character Serrano, so much so in 1992 he named his daughter Roxanne Depardieu, yeah, and he also bad. wore donned a moustache and everything right, for, yeah. for, for months after performing this role. So yeah, Karen Silla is still married now to Vincent Perez, and they've got two other children. But yeah, I I was gobsmacked when I saw that. You'd have to say that. When you think of Gérard Depardieu, I mean, obviously, he's one of the most famous French actors that crossed over into the mainstream. Just so much of his personality in the characters he plays on screen are this big, lovable, rogue-type mm. character because he's such a charm. big... Exactly, and he has that French and he has the charm that you could almost say this film was just made for him. Mm. I think, for me, I was thinking how I would review the film. And when I was watching it, I was like you. You can't really fault the way it looks, the costumes, the way they do the period. The script sounds great, but then I don't know, we're English speaking, so the French is going to sound amazing, <laughs> isn't it? But it really is Depardieu's film. There's mm. no doubt he... I mean, that introduction of him when we first meet him, for that first half an hour, he's just like a Rolls Royce before. It's like, wow. I mean, he just, he's got such a presence. It's mm. phenomenal. Can you imagine somebody doing that? The Apollo Theatre, for example, or the Adelphi <laughs> Theatre. I don't like this theatre production. It's rubbish, blah, 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 blah. And getting on stage and, you know, tickling people and getting them off stage. Can you imagine somebody, the audacity of the, somebody to do that as well? It's very arrogant. But everybody loves Serrano at the same time, you know, <laughs> yeah, exactly. He's like a legend, isn't he? And yeah, he, you know, he yeah. goes against the system. He says what he wants. He doesn't care. But then beneath all that, he's got such a heart. Yes. And even when Roxanne, that first time they meet, Roxanne says, I met this Christian. I saw this Christian. I mean, poor Serrano. You know, his reaction to that is he still wants to help. He still wants to try and facilitate yeah. it. And yeah. even though Christian is standing in in the way he's not bitter towards Christian at all and I think that becomes apparent throughout the film in a strange way this almost business-like relationship where he's going to write for him they become quite close they kind of form a bond and mm. I think that's what's mm. quite nice about it is that towards the third act of the film I think that adds something more to it that, mm. that you've actually seen Serrano create kind of a respect at the end of the day for mm. Christian even though at the beginning he looks down on him a bit but she must have known that he adored her because the amount of time he spent with her and you know he was always there on the dot wasn't he for yeah. 14 years or something I think it was said he's just a gentleman and very honourable gentleman and it's just sad I think it's sad anyway do we go yeah. to ratings um, I'm going to give it as I say it has the same impact on me as when I first watched it it's just for me Gerard Depardieu in his pomp doing his thing and you know there, there's nothing and I think about it on a deeper level or technically how it looks or anything else that really captures my attention now but it's a really good film so I would give it seven and a half 
because you know I liked it, but this sounds like a criticism. I wouldn't like rush to watch it again, but mm. it was just a very very good film, and I'd recommend anyone watch it if they haven't seen it. It's yeah, yeah. I have to say that that's how I felt about it. Yeah, I agree with that, and I would actually like to watch the Steve Martin Roxanne again because I think it's more lighthearted and there is more potentially more comedy. And obviously they've translated it in a different way and modernised it. I would like to watch that one. I have no interest, however, in watching Serrano. Really. And I hear it's supposed to be very, very good, but I have no interest because I think it'll be closer to this film. And I think the person that's playing the main character, Serrano, I think it's going to be very sad again. I think (laughs) Steve Martin, he's got a comical nose and he, you know, I just think it'll be sad. So I don't want to, I don't really want to watch. You don't want to go through all that again with another set set of actors. I'm going to give it a seven out of 10, simply because I thought the set design um, and everything was really good. It's quite a long film. It's about two hours, 19 minutes. I think they could have shortened it a little bit. Brilliant cinematography, I have to say. I'm not surprised it didn't get an Oscar for that. Well, I have to say that you mentioned that this is more drama than comedy. You're absolutely right. It's, I mean, it is comedy. You know, we talked about this before on IMDb. It gives the categories of genres. I mean, so it's drama, history and comedy. Now, Roxanne, the Steve Martin film, is also on my list. Ah, so it um, might come up later. Well, it might come up later. You could say, well, now is a good time to watch that because you've just seen Sir Arnold Bergerac. So if we get time this week on the next couple of weeks, I might watch it purely because my head's in mm. Serrano yeah. land. <laughs> Serrano land. And have you watched the new Serrano? Are you going to watch the new Serrano? So when the trailers first came out, I really wasn't that interested. But given it's getting such high praise, I wonder whether it should get a viewing. We'll see. Okay. Sounds good. So pretty good scores. So let's move on to the new movie. And I've let the side down on this one, I have to say. So we swapped this week's film, new film, to review Moonfall. The reason being is I couldn't get to cinema to watch Scream. I thought it was on Sky. However, it was the pre-order was on Sky, but you can watch it streaming on Virgin Go. I don't have Virgin Go. So those that have Virgin Go, you can watch it. If you've watched it, Already hold those thoughts because I'm sure we'll be reviewing it in a couple of weeks time when I have access to it. But Rob, I know you've watched it. We'll run through our feedback on that. He's smiling. I'm not sure he's overly happy with watching that film. <laughs> I made him watch it, didn't I? <laughs> no, I feel like I feel like it was a kind of almost like a bit of modern cinema history that I had to quickly do. So I watched yeah. the first one. I didn't watch like yeah. the subsequent three. <laughs> uh, and then and then I went to the cinema to watch okay. uh, this I, one. I made you watch all t- both of those. <laughs> Put you through scream, both two screams. Yeah. I mean, look. Anyway, it's not. It's not necessarily a film I would have rushed to the cinema to see. The same could be said of the film <laughs> that we did go and see. Well, do you know what? There was no reviews before we went and saw Moonfall. I had no expectations. I didn't actually know who was in the film when we watched it. And it became very obvious when I was in the middle of the film and go, oh, is that Halle Berry? She looks like Halle Berry. And thinking that it was a younger girl that looks like Halle Berry. Halle Berry has not aged a bit since she was like 20, I don't think. She's in this film and we've got other actors, including Patrick Wilson, Michael Pina, Donald Sutherland, a surprise to see him, and John Bradley, who we've seen in all the adverts, who plays Samuel Tarly in Game of Thrones. So it's oozing with with stars. 
And as for the director, this is the guy, this is Roland Emmerich, who wrote Independence Day, Godzilla, The Day After Tomorrow, Midway more recently as well. So you're going in expecting a big budget disaster movie with loads of special effects. And it does. It gives that to you. However, you may find the storyline even more far-fetched than the other films. Let's just put it as that. Where should we start? We start with astronauts Joe Fowler, who's played by Halle Berry, and Brian Harper, who's played by Patrick Wilson. They're called the astronaut married couples. Like, you know, you get TV married couples. They're the astronaut married couples. And they're with another astronaut up in space and, and on a mission. And then this unusual force attacks them and takes out the astronaut I haven't named. <laughs> I couldn't find his name in the uh, in the the castings. Uh, the, 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 the other crew member, <laughs> the other one. Yes, that's right. And Joe passes out, and Brian goes, "I'm going to get us back down to Earth," and so he does. However, because she was unconscious, and Brian saw everything, he tries to put in his reports, and, and nobody believes him about this this strange being. This is until Casey Houseman, John Bradley, who is a space nerd. I would say I couldn't work out what his actual title was. He's a space nerd. He tracks the moon, orbiting the Earth. He's a conspiracy theorist as well, isn't he? Yeah, yeah. And he basically can tell that the moon has been knocked off its orbit. There are more outlandish, bonkers theories that come up into play in this film, which you like, look at Rob and I looked at each other like, what? <laughs> and he detects it soon in NASA. And then eventually together, we can tell that the moon is actually on collision course for Earth, which is not good news. However... Joe, who's now the assistant director or the director of NASA, she kept on changing her title because everybody just left NASA and thought, oh, sod this, I'm going. Well, we can't do anything. We've got the moon is about to land on Earth. I'm going to go and be with my family. <laughs> so Joe decides, oh, no, I'll call up Ryan and myself and, and KC, who's never been into space before and never thought he would go into space before, ends up getting in a spacecraft and boom, up they go to investigate and save the world. I'll leave it as that. Oh, my God. So, Rob, what do you think? It's utter nonsense, but you go in knowing it's going to be utter nonsense because it's a disaster movie. It's obviously not taking itself too seriously. It's almost like the greatest hits of disaster movies just thrown together. And... You know, like you say, you suspend your disbelief because there's no logic to it. You can't start to criticise the things that I would naturally look at at a film. I suppose you very quickly go, OK, do you know what? You just got to go along with the ride and enjoy the absurdity of the whole thing. I mean, there are times when I think, OK, even then, even then, I, can't, I still can't believe what I'm watching. There are... S- Scenes in this, in the, I would say the first two thirds of this film, I actually think it just got too ridiculous. <laughs> I know that sounds ridiculous. I, sorry, I'm saying ridiculous. I say you've got suspended disbelief, but sometimes it just goes too far. You get your brain geared for this and then you have to take it one step further because some of the stuff is nuts. I actually found the last part of the film, when they go off to the moon on a shuttle with an engine missing, it's crazy that they found it a museum and just like, you know, knocked up. And the next day they, I mean, anyway, that cry, that's just one thing. But, there is hope for us, though, if we do get in a pickle, we can always go to the local museum and, and put the, the rocket together. That's We've right. seen it done on the movies. Oh, I mean, it's like something out of the, e- the A-team, isn't it? <laughs> and when they go up to the moon and we actually, learn, you know, so the moon's this actually, it's not the moon at all as we know it. It's this mega structure. 
And then suddenly they fly into the moon and it kind of almost veers into like quite a high con well, no, high concepts taking it too far, maybe. Uh, like a sci-fi film, which is, you know, starts to kind of explore this whole idea of a greater power of AI that's been actually created by humans who live in a far off planet and we're just on this planet because they ended up unleashing this strange being that started eating up all their planets. So then they created the moon and we're all down here. As a, it veers into an area which starts to make it almost quite interesting. So in a weird way, the first part is just, yeah, okay, this is all just loads of fun. The second part, oh, this is fun, but this is really getting stupid now. And then the third part was like, ah, oh, well, this is all right, this bit. I could, you know, I could have done with just a bit more of the, the last bit. But oh, it, it's just nonsense. But that is what it's all about. It should just say that. The tagline just say it doesn't get more stupid than this. So people know, if you're going to watch one of these disaster films, everyone knows you've got to go for the ride, but you really have to got to go for the ride. But you can tell that everything is a joke, really, in this film. You can tell yeah. that. And I made the stupid mistake when I was watching this because I, Sarah and I saw this together. I found myself getting annoyed with how few female yes, actors, actors were that. in it, right? And of all the films to start thinking about how, how like the lack of representation of women in cinema, here I am getting annoyed at that. That just got to me. And although Halle Berry is the star and there's maybe one or two other female characters that, to be honest, are just more fringe. I found myself having to just calm down and just going with it. It was all the military personnel, wasn't it? And NASA. They were main, mostly men, weren't they? Yes. But to be honest, it didn't bother me. I guess I must be used to it, which I shouldn't be used to it. It didn't bother me. I've seen so many TV series and films like that. I just passed it off. Yeah, you're right. I mean, I don't know why I got obsessed with it. The, the, I mean, of, of all the things to be concerned about when watching this film, this is like just a tick box of every ridiculous thing that you've ever seen in any other previous disaster movie, but then cranked up to mm. 200 of ridiculousness even yeah, what then. Else, what else could happen next? Right. So, I mean, you get the Chrysler building that's taken away by a, a tidal wave that ends up on right. Snowcapped Mountain. So I can't, I can't work out whether it's so bad and so stupid and so ridiculous, it's brilliant because of that, or mm. whether it's so bad or so stupid just goes too far at times that I can't forgive it for it. I think the latter, to be honest. <laughs> I think it goes too far at times. Yeah, I just don't know what these famous people were thinking. What's Donald Sutherland doing in a film like this? And and Michael Pena, I know he's done in some films that aren't fantastic, and I'm surprised to see Halle Berry. When they read the script, were they on something? You know, why would they? I have no idea why they're in this film, other than money, or they know Roland Emmerich, the director. I don't know. But Halle Berry, I mean, she's just done directorial debut for Bruised. And I would like to see more of her directing a bit more, I think, because I think she's got the experience now. And kind of remember her for being Storm in X-Men, Catwoman. And she's got an Oscar for Monsters Ball. I have no idea why she's in this film. However, you expect a, a D-lister if you read the storyline. And then John Bradley, he's done some films, but it's probably his first major breakthrough. 
But I just hope it doesn't. I really hope he's got more to come. I just want him to play a different character to who he was in Game of Thrones. He needs to play something gritty, something really sinister and horrible, or somebody that's very, very lovable. I think he needs to do something different. I think he will. I think you often see this. He's trying to now break into Hollywood. I mean, he's he's, he's succeeded to break yeah. into mainstream cinema. And so naturally, the perfect role for him is something that is going to be relatively safe, which is playing on his geeky looks and maybe what we know him from. But it's almost a bit like Jonah Hill, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm no doubt we'll see him in loads of films where he plays this kind of role. And I just think that will just be how he gets into Hollywood. I'm sure Mm -hmm. then he'll start to do some more interesting stuff. I heard that the director, Roland Emmerich, made some comment about how he thought, um, Scorsese said this before, that Marvel and Star Wars are ruining cinema because obviously so much of the bankable money's going to those dead cert films and it's diluting any other form of cinema but then he makes something like this i mean it's not as if this is high art cinema i mean don't get me wrong these are the king of disaster movies and it's as like a subgenre all of its own and people love them and that's all fine but it's a bit rich given how far-fetched these type of films are and this film specifically to then have a pop at how mm-hmm. marvel i mean crikey compare a Marvel film to this, then a Marvel film looks like high art, as far <laughs> as I'm concerned. So I just thought that was yeah. a bit rich. I could see what I could see what he means. I mean, Marvel and Star Wars, yes, there's a, there's lots of spin-offs coming off, but that's what the you know that's what's bringing the money. However, this was hugely big budget on the special effects side. There was occasions where I thought they've shot that in the studio and they've got this fake background, but majority of the special effects look pretty good, I think, and especially when up in when they're up in space. It's seeing this being in the middle of the moon was interesting. It was different. Yeah, and I was going to say, like, visually, I mean, that's what this kind of film has got to do. It's got to look good. I mean, we won't go through all the films that it mm-hmm. feels like, but, I mean, the very open to this is all, you know, it's like something out of gravity. And, you know, it's like that all the time. You think, oh, that, that reminds you of this, or that reminds you of this. It is, as I say, yes. for me, it's almost like a greatest hits of lots yes. of different films slung into the most ridiculous disaster movie. I, I completely agree. So I'm going to rate this i'm gonna give it a five out of ten because i'm on the fence i think the special effects were good i don't dislike it enough to give it the, my rock bottom score but it's it's a bit more enjoyable than the lost daughter and, the, and black bear actually i don't know what i gave the lost daughter was it a six maybe i should give it six and a half then if the lost daughter was six well i'm going to give it five and a half and that <laughs> half is it's the lowest score you've given i think is it really? That half is for the last 45 minutes of it, which was the kind of slightly more interesting bit. But you could argue that that's a harsh score. If you love disaster mm. movies and you like this kind of thing, you, you could say, well, I'm just, I know, I'm just not the right person to, to completely down tools of all logic and just swallow up this mm. kind of cinema. Do you know what? I think if I was a teenager, I'd probably love this film. There you go. But I'm, not, I'm not a teenager. And... <laughs> Not anymore. But when you see the Chrysler building on top of a snow-capped mountain, it's gone too far. (laughs) That's just, yeah. That's you being very kind as well, I think, of all the scenes to mention. (laughs) Anyway, I think I I looked at you and I was like, what? What's that doing? (laughs) So this week's film, we're going to go for Uncharted. Which is the new Tom Holland film. Now, this is another one 
a bit like Lean For where it's really well advertised and you don't haven't seen any reviews. So I really hope it's not going to be a big flop, but we'll see. So street smart Nathan Drake is recruited by seasoned treasure hunter Victor Sully Sullivan to recover a fortune amassed by Ferdinand Magellan and lost 500 years ago by the House of Moncada. And this, uh, yeah, so Tom Holland, Mark Wahlberg are the two main stars of this one. I mean, I wonder whether there's a bit of a revival at the moment of these family adventure type films. The Um, Treasure Hunt. Yeah, exactly. That kind of thing. Because there have been a couple of films recently, which I think seem to be in the same vein. Yeah, Jungle Cruise. And then more recently, the film with Gal Gadot and... And The Rock was in that one as well. Exactly. He was in that one. What was that called? Red Notice. Yes, Red Notice. Because I think they're making another one of those. So I wonder whether there's a little area here that Hollywood are kind of mining mm-hmm. and from mm-hmm. watching the trailer this feels like it's very much in that kind yep. of area I agree I think it's a bit like um, National Treasure with Nick Cage and, and probably a bit of Indiana Jones in there I would have thought so that's the new film it's on at the cinema at the moment I don't think it is anywhere to be watched uh, streaming so it might be a trip to the cinema if you've got kids maybe it's a good opportunity to take your slightly older kids because I think it's a 12A to go and watch this one so it's your turn Rob to choose one of my oldies you got a category for me. Yep, so so far we've had thriller, horror, adventure and comedy. So it's going to be music or musical. Musical, musical, okay. Which number out of 12? I'm going to go for number one. Number one is Almost Famous in 2000 with Billy Kudrup. Kate Hudson, Francis McDonald, and Zoe Deschanel. I can never say her name. Have you seen it? I don't know. I can't remember whether I have seen this film or not, but as soon as you... A bit of a creepy kind of film, yeah. Yeah, as soon as you read this out, I thought, brilliant, because I can't remember whether I've seen it, but I know I'll like this, I'm pretty sure. So, yeah, this is from the year 2000. A high school boy in the early 1970s is given the chance to write a story for Rolling Stone magazine about an up-and-coming rock band as he accompanies them on their concert tour. And now that I've read that, yes, I'm pretty sure I've seen this. But it's a cracker, isn't it? Yeah. It's um, on your list, so it must be good. It's on my list. And at the moment, 7.9 on IMDb. Which is a very good rating for Mm. IMDb. And the good news is streaming on Amazon Prime, Sky, now Cinema and Virgin Go. So that's all good news. And then uh, you can rent or buy for most of the other platforms. And without talking too much more about it, it won an Oscar for Best Mm. Writing Screenplay. So good stuff. Looking forward to that one then. Yeah, something a bit different than the usual Greases and Frozens and all that kind of jazz. Oh, I saw Frozen advertised this new musical, like they're doing with all the Disney films. Is Frozen on your list? It is. Is it? Mm. I just think you just and need Greece. to let it, let it go. <laughs> Ooh. That's terrible, isn't it? Had to be done. Had to be done, didn't it? Right. So now you've got the song in my head. I'm not going to sing. Oh, I'm sorry yeah. about that. It's the worst song. <laughs> I I talk about polluting <laughs> someone's mind is placing the song Let It Go in there just as we wrap up. <laughs> Anyway, enjoy Almost Famous anyway. That'd be that'd be a good one to watch. I haven't seen it for a long time, but I know it got a lot of hype through Empire and all the major film magazines and critics loved it. 
So we'll be back in a, a couple of weeks, by which point I will be up to date with Boba Fett. And, and hopefully I'll be up to date with Scream. So we'll see. Oh, yes. Exactly. Fingers crossed. I pre-ordered it anyway. So as soon as I got the notice to watch it, I will be there in front of the screen with my friends, with some popcorn. It's more of a comedy than a horror, I think, anyway. It's definitely yeah. a way to watch it with a bunch of friends. You're absolutely right. I watched it on a massive screen in the cinema, and we were the only ones in there. <laughs> Which is quite incredible. Any single really. creak. <laughs> I know. Mind you, we were, there. we were the only ones in there. How many other people were in the cinema when we went to see Moonfall? There's more. There's more than I thought would be there. It was the opening day, though, so for a very off-peak time. It was off-peak. 10 a.m. Right. on a Friday morning, we watched it, and there was probably about eight to ten of us in there. It's incredible, and it's huge, huge screening room. You wonder how some how they make the money sometimes. I know you do. So I do start to wonder, mm. like when you see mm. how many screenings these films are putting on. Mm. I mean, like you say, we're always going to be seeing them in the morning, but, but still, right? Yeah. Okay, well, enjoy the next couple of weeks. And Indeed. the church bells chiming again now. Or not? Oh no, the church the church bells have stopped. You'd be oh, glad to hear they've gone home for the Sunday dinner. That's right. They've run out of custard creams. All the PG tips has gone. So yeah, they're they're at home in their slippers. Terrible, isn't it? Because how judgy I am. I'm sure <laughs> bell ringing's like the coolest thing ever, and I should really give it a go. Yeah, I remember when I was a venture scout, I I did brass rubbing at the. Oh my <laughs> god! I, what the heck? What's brass rubbing? You mean just cleaning brass? No, you get a bit of tracing paper and you put your pencil. It's like a tracing oh, paper. Oh, I know. Okay, you, sorry. Yeah, over the top of the... <laughs> sounds so wrong. Brass rubbing. Plaque or something. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Enjoy the brass rubbing then, Rob. Oh. You're, seeing, you're so close to the to the church. That old popular pastime what the kids are doing today. Brass <laughs> rubbing. <laughs> yes. Well, on that note... Bye. Bye. <laughs> <laughs>